please turn with me in God's word to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 26. Jeremiah chapter 26. And we're going to read together the whole chapter. So Jeremiah chapter 26, beginning at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen, and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh. And I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be a plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. 
There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied about this city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim with all his warriors and all the officials heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard of it, he was afraid and fled and escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, Elnathan, the son of Achbor, and others with him, and they took Uriah from Egypt and brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body into the burial place of the common people. But the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, I wanted to consider this passage together with you this morning as a way of uh, making something of an introduction into the book of Micah, which I hope we will uh, take up as our next uh, passage in the morning. Um, And as a prophet, Micah is spoken of both in Matthew 2, as we considered last week and heard the prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Micah is famous for that prophecy. And Micah is also brought up here in the book of Jeremiah. And so Micah's name appears here. And I thought that would be a good passage to consider as an introduction. But also because this is a good introduction to the prophets in general. Uh, We have in this passage a good example of what the prophets represent to us in God's word. The commission they have from God, uh, the, the point that God makes in sending them to the world, what they are to accomplish in the world, and how often they are received by God's people. Um, and so I, wanna, I think this will be a good example of the work of the prophets in general as we then move to consider the prophecy of Micah in particular. Um, and we see Jeremiah bringing the word of God here, and we see really God's word being put on trial. Um, It seems as if Jeremiah is put on trial, but we know that really what's being put on trial here is God's word. Um, And as we think about this story and the message that that Jeremiah is called to give and how that message is to be received by God's people, um, it gives us food for thought on how we receive the word of God as it comes to us. And so we want to look at this story and think about it in three ways. First, to see God's word delivered to the people. Uh, Then we see God's word disputed. And finally, we see God's word defended. And that's how we want to think about this passage as we see God's word on trial. God's word delivered, God's word disputed, and God's word defended. Um, God's word is delivered in this passage by himself to Jeremiah to be delivered to all the people as he stands in the temple. Um, And before we think of the content of his message, it might be helpful for us to think of the context in which Jeremiah is prophesying. Um, This was a time of great upheaval in the nation of Judah. This is a time of great uh, change and uncertainty. Um, This is one of those passages of the Bible that we can fix in time with a relative amount of uh, confidence, uh, pretty exactly, uh, within a seven-month period of time, really, um, from September of 609 B.C. and April of 608 B.C., um, and I'll spare you the details of how you, how you come to that. Um, but in Hebrew, that, that, that pronunciation in the beginning of the reign of King Jehoiakim uh, gives us that, that time frame. And that's important for us because it lets us know, first of all, that this was a time where lots of things were happening in Judah very fast and very unsettling to the people of God. 
Uh, Within a three-month span before this king comes to the throne, the great king Josiah has been killed in battle. Um, Another king has arisen who was very popular, and he's been deported to Egypt. Um, And a third king has been imposed on the people, King Jehoiakim. Um, And he was not a good king. Um, God's assessment of him, we read in Jeremiah twenty two seventeen. you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Uh, he was not a good king. Um, and God's people were experiencing a rapid amount of change and upheaval at this time. And it's at this time that God raises up Jeremiah. Um, even though this is Jeremiah 26, Um, God often tells the story in prophecy more theologically than chronologically. And because we know that this event happens when it does, this means that this is one of the first events in Jeremiah's life as a prophet. This is one of the first things he's called to say. Um, And this speech is given to us more fully in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 15. But it's his, it's his temple speech that really, in, in a sense, opens his prophecy and comes to God's people in this great time of change, this great time of upheaval, this great time of uncertainty. And what is the message then? What is the content of the message that is delivered to Jeremiah by the word of the Lord? Now, the content of the message is well, the message that often comes to the prophets. It's a word of judgment um, and a word of hope for mercy. That, in a sense, is what all the prophets are are called to bring to God's people, a word of judgment and the hope of mercy. What is the word of judgment that that Jeremiah is to bring? Uh, The threat of judgment that might come on the city and on the temple. And why is that judgment going to fall? What's going to be the cause of this? Why does the Lord pronounce this message over them? Well, it's on account of their sin. The God's people have failed to do two important things. And the prophets often return to these two important things that God's people have failed to do. The first thing they've failed to do is listen to his law. They have failed to listen to his law. That's what we read in verses 4 through 6. This is the reason that judgment is, is being pronounced by God. They have not listened to his law. Um, And we know that when God says, listen to me, what he means is, hear what I say and obey it. Hear what I say and do it. The Bible is filled with those reminders, isn't it? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. Um, You know, parents have to do that sometimes with children. You need to listen to me. Um, Usually you're told that by a parent as a child when you're not doing what what you're supposed to do. Boys and girls, maybe you've heard that. You need to listen. Um, you know, maybe you need, even need to be shown, you need to put your ears on, listen to me. Um, and that usually is a sign that we, we're maybe hearing, but we're not doing what we're being told. Uh, we, we maybe heard it in our ears, but we're not paying attention to what's being said. And that's what God comes and says to his people. My law is not being heard. It's not being listened to. It's not being obeyed. That's the first problem that God's people have. They have not listened to his law. Um, And and in that fuller speech that Jeremiah gives in chapter 7, God outlines the ways in which they've not listened to his law. They've been guilty of injustice, of the the oppression of the vulnerable. 
the shedding of innocent blood, idolatry, stealing, murder, adultery, swearing falsely, and making offerings to Baal. Right? They violated the law in almost every way you can violate the law, both in relation to God and in relation to their neighbors. Um, and they have not listened to it. They have not done what the law commands. So the first reason judgment is coming is because they've not listened to the law. The second reason it's coming is because they've not listened to the prophets. The role of the prophets, as you've probably often heard, is to come as covenant lawyers. Um, That's why no one liked the prophets, because no one likes lawyers. Um, they, They come as a covenant prosecutor to say, don't you remember what God's law said? Don't you remember what God said would happen if we broke covenant with him? That if, that if we didn't look any different than the people of the land who we're replacing, that he would cause the land to vomit us out the same way it vomited them out? Right? It's a vivid picture. Kind of gross, but vivid. Right? That this is, this is what would happen, and that's what the, the, the prophets come to do. They come to say, remember the law, and remember what the promise was for faithfulness, and remember what the threat was for disobedience. And you're walking in disobedience, and you need to turn your life around. And what does Jeremiah say? They've, they've failed not just to listen to one prophet. The Lord says, you've failed to listen to my servants The prophets, plural, I keep sending them to you and you keep failing to listen to them. I've pled with you repeatedly. I've pled with you urgently, God says, and you will not listen. And so if you continue not to listen to my law, not to listen to the prophets who I send you urgently to turn you from what you're doing, then what is the consequence going to be? The consequence is going to be sad and the consequence is going to be severe. Right, that's that's what God says in verse six. I will make this house, the temple, like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Um, Now curse is somewhat easy for us to understand. Um, we, We understand what it means to be cursed by God, this particularly means that you'll be held up to ridicule, that people will walk by the city and say, oh, here's the great holy city. Um, what will become a byword among the nations. We hear that in, the, New Te- in, in the, the Bible over and over again. But what does it mean that the house will become like Shiloh? Well, maybe we're not, we're not familiar with that picture or that image. Well, it's an important picture in the life of God's people because Shiloh is the place where God used to make his name dwell. Shiloh is where the house of the Lord used to be in the days when the Ark of the Covenant dwelt there in the tent. Uh, That was where God had made his name to dwell for a time among his people. That's where God had made his house, where he had made his name to dwell in the time of Samuel. And what had happened in the time of Samuel? The people had been under threat of invasion from the Philistines and they had a great idea. You know, why don't we take the Ark of the Covenant out into battle with us? Because certainly if we take the Ark of the Covenant with us, then no one will be able to stand against us. Uh, My father has called this the God in the box theology. We have God in a box, and if we take him out in the box into battle, certainly this will work. 
He'll have to work, right? He'll be there. He'll have to do something. Um, And if we remember that story from 1 Samuel 4, that's not what happened, right? The Israelites believed in the God in a box theology, and so did the Philistines. They said, well, we're certainly going to die by these people, but let's, you know, die with our boots on and, and go and fight. Well, what they found was they defeated them, they routed them, and they took the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and all the priests were killed, and the army was routed. Um, and, and God remembered that, and the people remembered that as the time when the glory departed from Israel. You might remember that one of the priests who was killed in the battle, his wife uh, was pregnant, and she went into childbirth when she heard the news of the father's death, and she died in childbirth. And in giving birth to that child, she named him Ichabod. Because she said, the glory has departed from Israel. And that event is is powerfully summarized for us in Psalm 78, verses 60 through 64. God forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. The glory departed. And why? Because the Lord forsook his dwelling place. He departed and they were destroyed. And Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant had dwelt, was destroyed by the Philistines. It was made to be a heap of ruin. And it was still a heap of ruin in Jeremiah's day. 450 years later, there were still ruins at Shiloh. And people could still go to Shiloh and see what the Lord had done. And the Lord is saying, if you don't listen to my law and you don't listen to my prophets, I will make this place like Shiloh. My glory departed from there My people were abandoned and they were forsaken and they were destroyed. And if you don't change your ways, the same thing will happen to Jerusalem and to this house. It's a very serious word of warning. It's a very serious word of judgment. But it's not a word without hope. Right? The the message is serious. The judgment is serious. It should be listened to. But we should never mistake the fact that the prophets come not just with a word of judgment, but with a word of hope. There's hope of mercy in the message of Jeremiah. That if people relent, right, if they listen, if they listen to the law, if they listen to the prophets, God will relent of the disaster that he's promised. He'll turn away his wrath. He won't visit them with this judgment. You see, this message is not without hope. It's a warning of judgment, but it also extends the hope of mercy. This terrible judgment that's on the horizon doesn't need to happen. It can be avoided, if you will, but listen to me and turn to me. It's not without hope. And Jeremiah is called, he's delivered this word into his hands to go and to stand in the middle of the temple and to proclaim this word. And God says to him, preach the whole word. Preach the warning of judgment. Preach the hope of mercy. Preach the whole word. And he says that in verse 3. I command you to speak to them, 
do not hold back a word. Um, it's a vivid verb that, that God uses here when he speaks to Jeremiah. It's a verb that usually we use for, or was used in Hebrew for clipping a beard, shaving down a beard. And it's as if God is saying to Jeremiah, preach the whole truth and don't shave any off. Preach the whole counsel of God. Preach the judgment in full. Preach the mercy in full. That's what the calling is. Those who are studying to the ministry need to be reminded of that calling. Don't shave any of the truth off. Because sometimes people do that so that the message will be more palatable. Right? Jeremiah doesn't expect this message to be popularly received. No one likes it when you come with a word of judgment. But this is really the word as it's come to God's people throughout the history of how God has dealt with his people. Bringing the warning of what's going to happen if nothing changes. The warning of the judgment that's coming and the hope of mercy that's extended to those. That this judgment is not inescapable. It can be avoided. And that's the good news that God has always brought to this sin-cursed world. That's the good news he brought in all those generations of prophets, all the servants of the Lord who brought the word of the Lord, all the way down to the last days coming. When in the fullness of time, God sent forth not his servant, but his son. And the Lord Jesus Christ came himself into the world. And what did he speak when he came into the world? We read the summary of his message in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. What, what did Jesus come into the world to do? He came into the world to warn of judgment. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his message was far more severe than the messages that had come before him. Right? This is a judgment not just on the earth, but on the heavens and the earth. This is not just a judgment on one land or people, but on all lands or peoples. This is the judgment that's coming to the whole earth. This is the, the final and inescapable judgment. It's a warning of far more severe judgment than any Old Testament prophet brought. And in the same way, it's a far greater hope of mercy. Right, Not just delivery from present distress, not just delivery from present difficulty, but the promise of a God who will relent over the disaster and bring us eternal life. Bring us into the fellowship of his kingdom, into the fellowship of his son, to enjoy the glory and the joy of that fellowship with him. The word Jesus brings is of a far more severe judgment coming and a far greater blessing that the hope of mercy extends to his people. And so in every age, the call has come to people to hear this word, to listen, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of our evil ways and be saved. Now, this is the same message that's always come. And we can't diminish the judgment. We can't shave that part off, even though it's unpleasant to talk about. Now, there have been churches that have been guilty of that that don't want to talk about sin, don't want to talk about judgment, and only talk about the hope of mercy. Well, the hope of mercy makes no sense without the word of judgment. And there are some churches that have leaned too heavily on the word of judgment. 
preached hellfire and brimstone until the hope of mercy is obscured. And we need to preach the whole counsel of God. Yes, there is a warning of judgment, but what God comes and tells to his people is the hope is that this judgment is not inescapable. This judgment is not unavoidable. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and you'll be saved. Um, But whenever God's word is delivered into the world, God's word is always disputed. There are people who will not receive God's word. And so we see God's word delivered and God's word disputed. Right? Jeremiah does what he's called to do. He stands in the middle of the temple. He proclaims the word that God has given him. Everybody hears it, all the people, all the priests, all the prophets, and they thank him for his work and carry him out on their shoulders, right? Um, Thank you for giving us this wonderful word of God. Uh, No, they seize him and they say, you shall be put to death. Um, I'm thankful that no matter how bad reaction my sermons have been, it's never been this bad. Um, never, people have never wanted to ride me out on a rail and put me to death. But that's what they say when he preaches. They say, put him to death. He's blasphemed against this house. Um, and it's interesting to see what their major problem is with what he has to say. They, they sincerely believe that the things he said can't possibly be true. They sincerely believe that the things he says cannot possibly be true. That because this is the Lord's city and the Lord's temple, it can never come to harm. That's that's what they're so sure about. Um, They may even have looked to something like Psalm 132, um, verses 13 and 14, and said, For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. You can see how some people would have looked at that and said, doesn't forever mean forever? This is the house of the Lord. It can't fall. This is God's city. It can't fall. What you're saying has to be wrong because this is the temple of the Lord. But see, it ignores the whole counsel of God. It shaves off important truths that God had stated. um, That there would be a punishment for covenant breaking. And Jeremiah is preaching in this time of false confidence. Uh, He says in Jeremiah 7, 3 through 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Right? You can almost hear them doing it, right? He brings the message and they clap their hands over the ear. No, no, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, like a little kid. And what does God say? Later in that chapter, he says, go now to my place that was in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. Shiloh was the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And it's become a heap of ruins because of the evil of the people. The evil of the people. The evil of the people. And you see, they miss that entirely. And I think how they miss it can instruct us about how people tend to miss what we're saying. Because you notice how they fixate only on the word of judgment. They fixate only on the message of destruction. 
Notice as they, as they recount the problem they have with what he says, right? When they seize him, you shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, verse nine, saying this house shall be like Shiloh and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? You see how they just, they fixate on the message of judgment and they miss what he said about their evil. And they miss what, what he said about God's mercy. And I think that's why the world so often has trouble with what Christians have to say. Because they hear the word of judgment that we do pronounce. That this world is under the curse on account of the fall of man, on account of sin. This world stands condemned at the tribunal of God. That sin deserves judgment. We preach that because it's true. But we also hold out the glorious good news that God sent his son into the world to die for our sins. That because the world was under his condemnation and because we could not save ourselves, he sent his son into the world to be our savior. He left his place in glory to become like us and to die the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Not because he needed it, but because we needed it. That our Father loved us enough to send us a Savior and that the Savior loved us enough to come into the world that we might not receive judgment but mercy. So that he would receive the penalty that we deserve for our crime and that we would be freed and enjoy the blessings of the life he secured. We preach the judgment and the justice of God. We also preach the good news of what Christ has done for us and the good news that if we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ, then we will escape the judgment that's coming. When the judgment comes, it will sweep over the heavens and the earth. It won't touch us. Not because of anything in us, but because we're protected by the Lord who is our Savior. By the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole of the message that we preach and so often, all people hear is the message of judgment. How can you call me a sinner? How can you say that I deserve justice? How can you say that I deserve hell? I'm not a bad person. And if that's who God is, I don't want anything to do with him. See how it fixates on the judgment and on the destruction and not its cause or the message of mercy. That's the mistake they make. And it can be made by priests and prophets. And they can lead the people astray. That's why they charge him with blasphemy. Um, and they miss the calling of the prophets that so often comes as it comes in Zechariah 1 verse 3. Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. The glory doesn't need to depart. You can come to the glory and dwell with the glory forever. It was true for them, it's true for us, and we shouldn't miss it. We shouldn't dispute it as they did. And we should thank God that he defends that word in what we read, because God's word is disputed. They bring Jeremiah to trial before the officials. They, they sit in the gate. Boys and girls, when the officials sat in the gate, that meant they were holding an official courtroom proceeding. They were putting Jeremiah on trial. And the officials come and they say, all right, make your case. And they, they, people come and they say, he's prophesied against the temple. 
You know, this is a charge that continues for hundreds of years against the servants of the Lord. What did they say against Jesus? He spoke against the temple. What did they say about Stephen? He spoke against the temple. What did they say about Paul? He spoke against the temple. And what did all of them say? Repent and believe and you'll be saved. Right, and so these prophets and priests, they come with all the people to accuse Jeremiah. He spoke against the temple. Um, And Jeremiah offers his defense. He defends his mission from the Lord. I did not come to speak this word in my own authority. I spoke it as given to me by God. This is the message, this is the mission from him. And I've proclaimed the message that he proclaimed. And you'll notice that as the people have reminded the, the rulers of Judah what the message of judgment was that he brought, Jeremiah once again reminds them of the message of mercy in verse 13. He will not let that message be lost in this mix. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will, resent, will relent of the disaster he has pronounced against you. He won't let the hope of mercy be lost. And he proclaims it again, defending his mission, defending his message, and doing that with a warning. He says, behold, I'm in your hands. I'm I'm subject to your decision, but be warned. I am the Lord's messenger, and this is his message. And if you put me to death, you'll be guilty of innocent blood. For I have not proclaimed my own word, but I proclaim the word of the Lord in truth. And by God's grace, the power of that message comes to the rulers of Judah and they pronounce their sentence in verse 16 and they clear him of blasphemy. It's kind of interesting that the rulers do it and all the people. Um, All the people seem to be somewhat a fickle crowd because they were all the accusers and now they're all the acquitters. Now all the rulers and all the people say, he's spoken to us in the name of the Lord. He's not guilty of blasphemy. He's spoken to us in the name of the Lord. Um, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. So that settles it, right? He was put on trial. He was acquitted. Story's over. Well, no, the story's not over. Boys and girls, you already knew that because there are more verses that we read. But the story is not over. right? Because it's not simply enough to put God's word on trial, to dispute it, and then to defend it and say, okay, that was the word of the Lord after all. If that was the word of the Lord, then it demands a response. right? You can't say this is the word of the Lord and then just leave it at that and not listen to it. And that's what the rulers of the people, the elders in verse 17, stand up to say. We've had a bunch of different groups of people thus far in this passage. We've had all the priests and all the prophets and all the people and the rulers of the land. And now who stand forward? It's the elders of the land. And you can think of here elders like we have elders. People who are not, you know, religious professionals, but who are godly people who have studied the word and who who would help God's people and were in positions of authority. And they come forward and say, now look, if this is the word of the Lord, then what do we do with it? If this is the testimony of the rulers and the people that he has spoken in the name of the Lord, then you can't just let it lie. 
Because they said, you know, this kind of thing has happened once before, about 100 years ago. A little over 100 years ago, Micah of Morasheth, from the book of Micah, he prophesied in the days of Hezekiah. And what do the elders remind the people of? Well, he spoke in the days of Hezekiah, and he said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Right? They look at God's word and they remind God's people, this is not the first guy who's prophesied against this city and against this temple. This happened by the word of the Lord in the days of Micah. And he asked, and they put this in a, in a powerful rhetorical way, right? Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? He reminds them of the great day of the Assyrian attack when Assyria swept through the land of Judah, but, but went right around Jerusalem like an island in the midst of that judgment. Why? Because God defended his city. And because when they came against him and the, and the leader of Assyria said, who's going to deliver you out of our hands? And sent him a letter of surrender. Hezekiah took that letter of surrender and he put it before the Lord. And the Lord said, you won't have to do anything. You can just watch while I put a hook in their nose and lead them right out of here. And the Lord destroyed their army before them because they relented, because they listened, and the judgment that swept through left them untouched. The elders remind the people of that truth, and then they put to them that poignant question. Right at the end, but we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. It's not enough to say this is the word of the Lord. You have to do what it says. And they say there was a day when the same message came and the same hope of mercy was extended and the hope of mercy was embraced by the people of God and the Lord relented over disaster. But we are about to bring disaster upon ourselves. Is that what we're going to do? see the wisdom and the godliness of the message that they bring, and we see how badly the people miss it. Because in verses 20 through 24, what do we have? We have another case study of a prophet who arises, who speaks the same word that Jeremiah speaks, and they hunt him down like a dog. He flees in fear to Egypt, and they go to Egypt to find him, and they drag him back, and they put him to death, and they dump him. It's a way of saying they're not going to listen. They're not going to relent. They're going to bring this disaster down upon themselves. They're going to take the Lord's offer of mercy and spurn it. And what does this passage do for us? It holds out to us that same question that the elders are asking of the people. Are we going to bring this disaster upon ourselves? When God comes to us and speaks of the judgment that's coming when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, are we going to bring that judgment on ourselves when he's offered us mercy? When he's offered to relent over that disaster if we turn to him in repentance and faith? To admit and be sorry for our evil, the evil we're all part of in this world? 
And God is holding out to us that hope of life. Are we going to bring that disaster upon ourselves by not turning when he's offered? And to find ourselves in the midst of that judgment and, and realize we could have avoided this if we'd have just listened and turned, we would have had life. Don't miss this. Listen to the word of the Lord that speaks to us, that offers us life in Jesus' name. And let us all repent of our wickedness, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and be sure that the promises of God are true. Not just his warnings of judgment, but his promises of mercy. As he's promised in Isaiah 55, 6, and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity with which it was delivered and despite the fact that it was disputed that you defended it by the voice of your prophet in the world. Lord, we pray that you would be with those who minister your word as Uriah did and suffer even death for it. We've heard stories of just in this past week of Christian missionaries being put in prison and put to death and kidnapped for the sake of the gospel. We pray that you would watch over and keep your church Keep those who labor faithfully without shaving off any of the truth in this world. But most of all, Lord, help us to hear the message. To hear the whole truth as you give it to us, both the sober warnings of judgment and the glorious hope of forgiveness in Jesus' name. And we pray that no one here present may miss that message, that we would all return to you and find that you will turn to us in favor and compassion. That when the great judgment comes, it will sweep over this world. It won't touch us because we'll be held safely in the refuge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to repent, to believe in him, and to find rest for our souls. And you hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.